0: welcome to the corporate update portion of Analytics Biotech's annual general meeting. All participants are now in a listen-only mode. There will be a question-and-answer session at the end of this call. Please be advised that this call is being recorded at the company's request. I would now like to turn the call over to John Patton, Director of Investor Relations and Communication. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, operator. Earlier today, OnClytics issued a press release providing financial results and corporate updates for the first quarter of 2021. A replay of today's meeting will be available on the events and presentation section of the OnClytics website approximately two hours after its completion. As Kirk mentioned, during part one of the meeting, we will have a general question and answer session after remarks from company management. Institutional investors and analysts can ask questions using the directions which will be provided by the operator after the prepared remarks. And other guests and shareholders can use the Q&A function available on the webcast platform. As a reminder, various remarks made during this presentation contain certain forward-looking statements as disclosed on this slide. Now, I will turn the call over to Dr. Matt Coffey, President and Chief Executive Officer of Oncolytics Biotech. Matt? Thanks,
2: John. And thanks to all listening for joining us for this corporate update. With John and I on the call today are Dr. Tom Heinemann, our Global Head of Clinical Development and Operations, Andrew D. Gadadaro, our Global Head of Business Development, and Kirk Luck, our Chief Financial Officer. In addition, Alison Hagerman, our Vice President of Product Development, is also on the call and will be available to answer your questions during the Q&A session. Since our last AGM, we've had one of our strongest and most productive years yet at Oncolytics as we've achieved key milestones that validated our unique oncolytic virus immunotherapy platform, advanced our lead breast cancer program towards the initiation of a registrational study, expanded our clinical pipeline into additionally highly prevalent indications, and generated multiple opportunities to expand Pella partnership and business development potential. Now, as you can see on this slide, these milestones include achieving the primary endpoint in the, in the AWARE-1 study with data showing that Pella triggers an adaptive T-cell response specifically targeting tumors and synergizes with checkpoint blockade therapy, dosing the first patient and completing the safety run-in of our Phase II bracelet study in HR-positive, HER2-negative breast cancer expanding our clinical pipeline into triple-negative breast cancer in partnership with Insight through the of Phase II IRANE study, expanding our collaboration with Roche through the Phase I-II goblet study in multiple GI cancer indications, generating clinical proof of concept in multiple myeloma, and finally, demonstrating that the synergistic benefits of Peleria Rep can extend to immunotherapeutic agents well beyond checkpoint inhibitors. The fact that we were able to make such significant progress over the last 12 months, despite the unpredictable and industry-wide challenges posed by COVID-19, is a testament to the talent of our employees, partners, investigators, as well as the dedication of our patients. I'd like to thank all of them for the important roles they have played in Pella's development. Looking forward, our long-term goal is for Pella rep to be recognized as an enabling technology for a wide range of immunotherapeutic agents across multiple classes. As we work towards this goal, we are committed to preserving our primary focus and resources on the advancement of our lead breast cancer program towards a registrational study. We will also continue to leverage our collaborations with industry le- leaders and academia to efficiently execute on our stated clinical milestones outside of our lead breast cancer program, such as our Irene and goblet trials evaluating PELA in combination with checkpoint inhibitors. Lastly. We plan to selectively leverage partnership opportunities to further Pella's development as an immunotherapy backbone for agents well beyond checkpoint inhibitors such as CAR T cells and bispecific antibodies. This strategy will allow us to achieve an optimal risk-benefit balance as we work to advance Pella towards registration in HR-positive, HER2-negative, metastatic breast cancer and expand its markets potentially into a variety of highly prevalent indications. Now, before I hand it off to Tom uh, to go into more detail on our clinical data and strategy, I'd like to take a moment to emphasize some of the key competitive advantages that set Pella apart in the oncolytic virus space, which is an area of great interest to large pharma. Almost all other oncolytic viruses in development have at least one, and often both, of the following two characteristics. They require special handling procedures due to a BSL-3 or biosafety level 3 classification, or they require intratumoral delivery and, therefore, cannot reach metastatic disease. Notably, PELA is administered intravenously by nursing staff and requires no special handling procedures, which means that after receiving treatment, patients can return home to their families. As we'll discuss, we have also seen that PELA has synergistic potential with a variety of immunotherapy agents, including both pdl one and PD-1 inhibitors, as well as CAR-Ts, biospecific antibodies, PARP1, and CDK4-6 inhibitors. This is thanks to the ability to make cancer cells visible to the immune system. You can see an example of this in the image to the right, where Pella has selectively replicated in tumor cells and labeled them, as noted by the brown dye in the image. Additionally, we have identified potentially predictive and prognostic biomarkers that may accelerate uh, the cycle to get Pella into registrational trials by allowing us to identify the patients who are most likely to respond to therapy. Now, to let you hear about the recent progress we made in advancing our lead breast cancer program towards a registrational study, as well as other updates on our pipeline, I'll hand the call over to Global Head of Clinical Development Operations, Dr. Tom Heineman. Tom?
3: Thanks, Matt. As was mentioned a few moments ago, Our primary focus continues to be on the advancement of Pelomir-REP towards a registrational study in HR-positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer patients. At our last AGM, Matt spoke about how we plan to build on the results of our prior IND-213 study through our AWARE-1 and BRACEL-1 clinical trials. Just to to remind you, as can be seen on this slide, the IND-213 study showed a near doubling of overall survival in HR-positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer patients treated with Peleria Rep in combination with chemotherapy compared to those treated with chemotherapy alone. Another important observation from this study was that this survival benefit became apparent about 10 or 12 months after beginning treatment, strongly suggesting that this benefit was conferred by an immunologic mechanism of action. As those who have been following us for some time may know, these data led to several regulatory achievements that de-risked the program, including favorable feedback from an FDA end of phase two meeting, a favorable EMA final advice letter, fast-track designation by the FDA, and a special protocol assessment agreement for a metastatic breast cancer program. From there, we defined the three key objectives that we aim to accomplish in order to advance Peleria to a registrational study. These objectives, which were the inspiration for our Wear One and Bracelet One studies are, First, to confirm rep's immunotherapeutic mechanism of action and thereby reinforce the promising survival benefit seen in IND213. And second, to determine if our positive phase two results from IND213 can be enhanced by combining Pellerearep with a checkpoint inhibitor. And finally, to establish the clinical utility of T cell clonality to predict patient responses to Pellerearep. I'm pleased to say that we've made significant progress towards achieving these objectives since our last AGM, thanks to advancements in both the AWARE-1 and Bracelet-1 studies. The AWARE-1 study continues to read out as expected, and we recently reported very exciting results from the first two cohorts, which are fully enrolled. As you can see here on the study design slide, these two cohorts examined the effects of Peleria rep treatment with or without checkpoint inhibitor therapy in patients with, with HR positive or two negative breast cancer. Evaluation of these cohorts is the core objective of AWARE-1 as this is the breast cancer subtype we intend to evaluate in a future registrational study. By taking paired biopsies from patients both before and after Peleria-REP treatment, we aim to answer two key questions. First, does Peleria-REP have an immunotherapeutic effect is evidenced by its ability to induce an adaptive T-cell response that trains the patient's immune system to fight cancer? And second, is there synergy between Peleria Rep and checkpoint inhibitors in breast cancer? In other words, does the addition of a checkpoint inhibitor enhance Peleria Rep's ability to induce potentially protective immune responses? To answer these questions, we collected data on T-cell infiltration into tumors, tumor expression of PD-L1, and Cell-Till score, the study's primary endpoint, which is a measure of tumor cellularity and inflammation, and is significantly correlated with event-free and overall survival. As I mentioned, the data we recently reported at AACR from these first two cohorts are very promising. As shown here, cohort two, the cohort that includes Pella rep and checkpoint blockade therapy, achieved the study's primary endpoint with 60% of patients showing an increase in cell tilt score greater than 30%. In cohort one, which did not include the checkpoint inhibitor, we also saw increased cell tilt scores in six of 10 patients following treatment. Now, there are two important things to note regarding these data. First, cell tilt score is the continuous variable, which means that any increase in cell tilt score is expected to be associated with better treatment outcomes. And second, the fact that we are seeing more robust tumor responses in cohort two, as measured by cell TIL score, is both positive and in line with our hypothesis going into the study. Specifically, this confirms that Peleria Rep and checkpoint inhibitors act synergistically to provide an enhanced immunotherapeutic effect. Given that we observed an impressive survival benefit in IND 2 and 3 when treating only with Peleria Rep and chemotherapy, along with the clear indication that that benefit was conferred through an immune response. The fact that immune responses are further enhanced by adding a checkpoint inhibitor suggests that we will see improved efficacy with Peleria Rep checkpoint inhibitor combination therapy, which we are currently evaluating in bracelet one and other clinical studies. In addition to the impact on cell TIL scores, the data from AWARE-1's first two cohorts also showed Pelliria replication in a high proportion of cancer cells, an average 11 fold increase in intratumoral CD8 positive T cells, the generation of new presumptive antiviral and antitumor T cell clones that may mediate both initial tumor cell killing and long lasting immune memory directed against the cancer, a correlation between T cell clonality and cell TIL score, which supports the potential use of T cell clonality. As a treatment biomarker, a more favorable CD8 to T regulatory cell ratio, indicating a less immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment, and dramatic upregulation of PDL1 expression in tumor tissue, which revo- resulted in the conversion of some tumors from PDL1 negative to PDL1 positive. I should note again that many of these desirable effects were enhanced by adding checkpoint blockade therapy to rep. Collectively, these results answer the two key questions I mentioned a few moments ago. Namely, they show that rep remodels the, t- the immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment by enabling an influx of CD8-positive and memory T cells into the tumor, and they demonstrate synergy between rep and checkpoint blockade therapy. Taking a step, ba- a step back to look at the big picture, the AWARE1 data represent a significant milestone in advancing our lead breast cancer program towards a registration of study. Importantly, they confirm Pellarerep's immunologic mechanism of action, thus completing the first key objective we set out to accomplish. Additionally, they show we are well on our way to achieving the second two objectives mentioned earlier, as they demonstrate the synergy between Pellarerep and checkpoint inhibition, and They support the clinical utility of T-cell clonality as a predictive biomarker. Finally, these results validate our broader clinical development strategy of evaluating Pelererup in combination with checkpoint inhibitors. Notably, they demonstrate synergy between these immunotherapies and Pelererup's ability to remodel tumor microenvironments, thereby making tumors more amenable to checkpoint blockade therapy. As was mentioned earlier, we are exploring the combination of Peleria Rep and Checkpoint Blockade in Bracelet 1, our phase two trial in HR positive, HER2 negative, advanced and metastatic breast cancer patients. And as with Wear one we have made substantial progress in Bracelet 1 during the year since our last AGM. To date, we have activated 19 out of 20 study sites and we remain on track to achieve full enrollment in the fourth quarter of this year. The trial safety run-in has been completed without safety concerns, and the study is now open for randomized enrollment. As a reminder, BRACEL-1's design was developed in collaboration with Pfizer and Merck-Serrano, and the trial is being conducted under the auspices of PRECOG's world-renowned research organization. The BRACEL-1 trial is essentially identical to that of our prior IMD-213 study, with two key differences as shown on this slide. First, the study focuses exclusively on HR-positive HER2-negative breast cancer patients, which is a subset of breast cancer patients that we saw the most pronounced overall survival in IND213. Second, GRACEF1 includes an additional study arm to evaluate rep in combination with Pfizer and Merck-Serrano's anti-PD-L1 checkpoint inhibitor, Bavencio. We are particularly excited about this study arm given the AWARE1 data, which showed that synergy between rep and pdl one therapy resulted in enhanced immunotherapeutic effects. As mentioned earlier, this study was developed to support the overall clinical benefit of the IND213 study and facilitate the advancement of PeleriaREP to a registrational trial by evaluating the efficacy of rep checkpoint inhibitor combination therapy and by further investigating T cell clonality as a clinical biomarker. As we look ahead, I'm confident that my talented colleagues at Oncolytics, as well as our study investigators and partners, will keep us on track to execute on our stated clinical objectives and allow us to advance Pellarerep towards regulatory approval in HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer, while simultaneously positioning us to take advantage of Pellarerep's potential across a broad range of cancer indications. Shifting gears, I will now discuss how Pelererib's ability to remodel tumor microenvironments and promote an influx of anti-tumor T-cells, as demonstrated in AWARE 1, gives it the potential to be broadly applicable across multiple indications in combination with checkpoint inhibitors, as well as when combined with other cutting-edge immunotherapeutic agents. In a few minutes, I'll let Andrew talk about how we've been leveraging Pelererib's immunotherapeutic effects to drive our business development strategy and the expansion of our clinical pipeline into triple-negative breast cancer and GI cancer indications. First, however, I'd like to talk briefly about some of the compelling data we have generated over the past 12 months that have fueled our enthusiasm for Pella potential in other indications, as well as in combination with other immunotherapeutic agents. At ASCO last year, we reported fascinating proof-of-concept data in multiple myeloma showing that the benefits of rep can extend to hematologic malignancies. These data showed that intravenously administered rep targets and selectively replicates in malignant cells consistent with what was seen in AWARE-1. When rep was combined with the proteasome inhibitor carfilzomib, a profound immuno, excuse me, inflammatory response was activated and was accompanied by a 50% overall response rate and an 83% clinical benefit rate in carfilzomib refractory patients who are notoriously difficult to treat. These results included the first reported case of cytokine release syndrome associated with clinical response in multiple myeloma. The induction of cytokine release syndrome, which can be effectively managed with well-established therapies, highlights the ability of combined Pelerirep carfilzomib treatment to induce robust immune activation and tumor lysis in multiple myeloma patients. Also in multiple myeloma, we saw a profound increase in PD-L1 expression following Peleria Rep treatment. This is an example of the immunotherapeutic effects we saw in AWARE-1 extending into a different indication. Finally, before handing off the call to Andrew, I'd like to talk about some very interesting preclinical data we've seen over the past year that highlight Peleria potential as a platform therapy capable of enabling the success of a broad array of immunotherapeutic agents beyond just checkpoint inhibitors. Again, this potential stems from PelerioREP's ability to remodel tumor microenvironments and promote the infiltration of anti-cancer immune cells. The first of these data came from preclinical studies that evaluated rep in combination with CAR-T cell therapy. Now, despite their success in hematologic cancers, CAR-T cell therapies historically have been unsuccessful against solid tumors. As you can see on the left side of this slide, this is due to several factors, including T-cell exhaustion, impaired T-cell trafficking to the tumor, and immunosuppressive tumor microenvironments. On the right side of the slide, you can see the characteristics of pelarera that allow it to overcome these challenges, several of which were demonstrated in the RARE one study. Now. Given that these data were the subject of our KOL event a few weeks ago, I'll just give a high-level summary here. So these data, excitingly, showed that CAR T cells with PeleriaREP vastly improved their persistence and efficacy in solid tumors in mice, and that the efficacy of rep loaded CAR T cells was further enhanced by boosting the mice eight days later with intravenous Peleria rep. This boosting with Peleria Rep led to the generation of highly persistent cartoon cells, the inhibition of recurrent tumor growth and ultimately tumor cures. Notably, these synergistic effects appear to be specific to Peleria Rep as they were not observed with other oncolytic viruses. While we are very intrigued by these data, we would like to emphasize that the successful advancement of our current clinical programs, particularly in breast cancer, remains our primary focus. Nonetheless, these data are clearly compelling and we are now pursuing a partnership strategy to further the development of Pella as an enabling technology for CAR T-cell therapy, as well as for other immunotherapies that may benefit from Pella ability to remodel the tumor microenvironment. As you can see here, some of these additional immunotherapies include bispecific antibodies and PARP1 and CDK4-6 inhibitors. Regarding CD3 bispecific antibodies, which work by simultaneously binding both T cells and tumor antigens to facilitate immune mediated killing of cancer cells, pre clinical data have shown that combination with pellareal rep results in cancer regression and prolonged survival in solid tumor models. This is likely due to pellar rep's ability to promote T cell infiltration into these tumors. Given this strong rationale, We are now collaborating with researchers at Leiden University Medical Center and OnCode Institute in the Netherlands, who generated these data, to conduct additional preclinical studies that aim to further assess the therapeutic potential of teloreorep bispecific antibody combinations in breast and pancreatic tumor models. In addition to the promising preclinical data with bispecific antibodies, we also recently reported compelling preclinical findings related to the combination of rep with PARP1 and CDK4-6 inhibitors in separate posters presented at AACR last month. As noted on the bottom two sections of this slide, the combination of rep with each of these agents resulted in synergistic interactions that led to an increase in immune-mediated cancer cell death. To summarize, the preclinical data we have seen with therapies such as CAR T cells, and by specific antibodies indicate that Peleria Rep has the potential to be a foundational th- technology that enables the success not only of checkpoint inhibitors, but also of a wide array of immunotherapeutic agents. This is due to Peleria Rep's ability to recruit high concentrations of T-cells to solid tumors and to, rever- and to reverse immunosuppressive tumor microenvironments, two characteristics that were clinically demonstrated in the AWARE-1 study. With that, I'll now hand it over to Andrew, who will talk about how these immunotherapeutic effects of Peleria Rep have, since our last AGM, fueled our business development efforts and the expansion of our clinical pipeline into triple negative breast cancer and additional GI indications. Andrew? Thanks, Tom.
1: Now, as many of you may know, there's a growing interest from large pharma and biotech companies in improving the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors by pairing them with oncolytic viruses. This interest is driven by a large commercial opportunity. The immune checkpoint inhibitor market is expected to reach $55 billion by 2025, yet less than one in five patients respond to these therapies. Now, as you can see on this slide, this low response rate is due to several different resistance mechanisms, each of which can be addressed by the immunotherapeutic effects of Calorea Rep demonstrated in Aware One. Pelererep's benefits leave us well positioned to execute on our goal of securing a global clinical and commercialization partnership. In pursuit of this goal, we are taking a proven approach, which is to engage in multiple research collaborations designed to evaluate the feasibility of potential combinations between Pelererep and pdl one inhibitors. The first example of this approach was our bracelet one study, which as Tom mentioned earlier, is being performed in collaboration with Pfizer and Merck-Sorona. Since our last AGM, we have extended this strategy to foster new collaborations and expand our clinical pipeline into triple negative breast cancer, as well as additional GI indications. With regards to triple negative breast cancer, you can see from this slide that there's a substantial market opportunity in this indication, as there are over 540,000 patients in the United States living with triple negative breast cancer. Importantly, while checkpoint inhibitor therapy is approved for the treatment of triple negative breast cancer, it has significant limitations. Only around 40% of triple negative breast cancer patients have the one pdl one expression levels needed to become eligible for checkpoint therapy at this time. Of those patients, half do not respond to therapy. This presents a very interesting opportunity for rep, which is highlighted by that Aware One data mentioned earlier, demonstrating rep's ability to increase tumor PDL1 expression and convert tumors to PDL1 positive classification. The potential of rep to increase the proportion of patients responding to checkpoint inhibitors was the driving force behind our Irene triple negative breast cancer study, which is a collaboration with Insight. Shown on this slide is the study designed for IRENE, which is a Phase 2 investigator-sponsored clinical trial designed to evaluate Rep in combination with Insight's anti-PD-1 checkpoint inhibitor retifanlimab. We treat the first patient in IRENE in August and remain on track for a safety update for the trial in the fourth quarter. Next, I'd like to talk briefly about GI cancer, which is another segment where we saw great progress on the clinical and business development fronts, since our last AGM, this progress is due to Rep's demonstrated ability to remodel the tumor microenvironment and increase tumor PDL1 expression, thereby setting Pelorrea up to address a critical unmet need in the GI cancer space. GI cancers account for over a quarter of global cancer incidence, and, though checkpoint inhibitors are approved for certain GI cancers, less than half of patients respond to checkpoint inhibitor monotherapy often due to immunosuppressive tumor microenvironments. To address this unmet need, we've begun collaborating with Roche and our study partners, AIO, on the Phase 1/2 goblet trial. This trial is designed to evaluate Pella Rearup in combination with Roche's anti-PDL1 checkpoint inhibitor, Ticentric, in patients with metastatic pancreatic, metastatic colorectal, and advanced anal cancers. In addition to evaluating safety and overall response rate, the trial will also measure T cell clonality and Tcam6, both of which were previously identified as potential biomarkers in GI cancers. These biomarkers will be critical as we move towards later stage trials, as the ability to select and stratify patients who are likely to respond to treatment improves are our chances of success, thereby enabling us to be more cost efficient and enroll trials faster. By doing so we expect to reach potential value inflection points sooner and with greater financial flexibility. Looking ahead, we are eager to continue advancing the Goblet study, and we expect to begin dosing patients in the middle of the year. Goblet and Irene represent just the latest two examples of Peller Rep's robust clinical data set, driving exciting business development opportunities across our pipeline. As you can see here, these opportunities are also highlighted by Bracelet One, Aware One, and our ongoing study with BMS evaluating Peleria Rep Opdivo combination therapy in multiple myeloma patients. Since the last of we are also exploring additional business development and partnership opportunities based on preclinical work with CAR T-cells and bispecific antibodies. While these opportunities are exciting, I should once again emphasize that our primary focus remains on our lead breast cancer program and the execution of our stated clinical objectives. With regard to Pellareric's development as an enabling technology for additional immunotherapeutic agents, we aim to identify high-quality partners that will take the lead on this development pathway and assume the research responsibilities and costs associated with it. With that, I'll turn the call over to Kirk Luck, our CFO, to discuss our financial results for the first
4: quarter. Kirk. Thank you, Andrew. Now, I'm delighted to report that Oncolytics remains in a strong financial position as we advance Pelleria rep towards registration while at the same time exploring new data-driven opportunities. Today, we reported our cash and cash equivalents were over $50 million compared to $31.2 million at the end of 2020. This includes proceeds from financing activities of $25 million, mainly from our at-the-market facility, and I'm pleased to report our financial runway, a key consideration for institutional investment, towards the end of 2022. Our operating expenses for 2021's first quarter of $3.1 million remain relatively consistent with 2020's first quarter expenses of $3 million. We continue to find ourselves operating in a challenging director's and officer's insurance environment, resulting in an increase in insurance premiums. We've been able to to minimize the impact of premium increases through lower investor relations and consulting activities, and a general reduction of travel expenses due to the impact of the COVID pandemic. Now, research and development expenses for the first quarter of 2021 were $2.8 million compared to 2.5 for the same period last year. In the current quarter, in addition to progressing our Bracelet 1 study, we also continued performing analysis of our AWARE-1 patient samples to assess immuno- immunological functions. As related to our goblet study, we continued with initial regulatory activities seeking approval from the German regulator along with startup activities. Finally, the net loss for the first quarter of 2021 was 6.4 million compared to net income of of 400,000 in the first quarter of 2020. On a consolidated basis, this equates to a basic and diluted net loss of 13 cents per share for the 2021 period and a basic earnings of of $0.01 cent per share, and a diluted net loss of $0.04 cents per share for the 2020 period. With that, I'll hand it back to Matt. Matt?
2: Thank you, Kirk. Now, before starting the Q&A, I just want to note once again how proud we are of our employees and partners for what they have allowed us to achieve over the last year amid the pandemic. It's thanks to their hard work we've clinically demonstrated the immunotherapeutic effects of Pella, which leave it poised to have wide-ranging clinical benefits. Moving forward, we expect to build on this momentum in a data-driven manner, prioritizing the execution of our stated clinical milestones, particularly in breast cancer, while selectively engaging partners to generate value where additional opportunities arrive. As you can see in the table here, we expect to continue achieving a steady cadence of value-creating milestones throughout 2021. We will be sure to keep everyone updated on our progress as we work to generate value for our shareholders and, most importantly, improving the lives of our patients. With that, I now like to open the lines to take some questions. Operator?
0: Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And you have a question from the line of Patrick Truccio with H.C. Wainwright. Your line is open.
5: Hi. <clears throat> Hi. Good afternoon, and congrats on all the progress. Um, can you discuss the preclinical research evaluating PELA plus bispecific antibodies, um, specifically what targets in breast cancer and pancreatic cancer do you do as most appropriate with bi-specifics to combine with Pella? Secondly, can you discuss whether there's a particular construct of bi-specific antibody that you believe would be ideal to combine with Pella in the solid tumor setting, and finally. Do you believe there would need to be a sequencing to a combo of bi such as treating with Pella systemically prior to treating with bi to demonstrate a synergy?
2: Thanks, Patrick. That's that that, that that's a multi-prong question. Yeah, um, we're really excited about this. I, I think the Aware One study, I think, really opened the doors for us to say that this is a general priming mechanism for. Um, almost any immunotherapy that relies on uh, immune activation. And, and and the reason I say that is I, I think we were, you know, the first two cohorts of AWARE, which is really, um, well, I, I want to be honest here, I, I think that was the, the whole thrust of the program really, like cohort one and two was to look whether we needed to add a checkpoint inhibitor to uh, HR positive or HER2 negative disease. And I think we demonstrated that the virus is really good at resetting the immune system in these patients, and, and, and this is something I think people may, may miss. When you consider these patients, you know, they're, they're, they've been given chemotherapy. They've had their immune system decimated. They've had their bone marrows um, impacted by these therapies. Priming with rare virus, to your point, basically resets the immune system. We see a 75% turnover in the adaptive immune system. And these T cells that are turning over are recognizing specifically virally-infected cells, which by definition have to be cancer cells or cancer cells themselves. So we've basically taken someone who's not had an immunological challenge, and we've reinvigorated the immune system. And I don't know if you've read this. There's a a, a recent paper by Xing Zhao uh, demonstrating that not only do we activate T cells, we're actively uh, activating uh, the innate system through... Uh, activation of the, of the NK cell system. So those first two cohorts I think brilliantly proved that the immune system can be renewed, regenerated, reset by, by, and, and specifically to the tumor, by a treatment with the virus. Um, the other cohorts, uh, uh, three, you know, that's triple negative, and, and we're doing that collaboration with Insight, but cohorts four and five are, are really looking at uh, Herceptin in addition to the virus. And the collaboration we started with Layden uh, their publication was specifically looking at a bispecific antibody uh, targeting her uh, her two new so I, I think it's it's a In terms of what we're going to generate with the AWARE study really what we're doing now the, the, the cohorts three four and five only enroll actually half the patients of cohort one and two and those are basically to validate the target um, but the bispecific antibodies Basically, we'll take the learnings from Cohort 4 and 5, looking at Herceptin to see whether we actually do target um, that, that subset of disease effectively. And I think, you know, depending on what AWARE1 says and, and depending on the collaboration with the group in Layden, I think it opens up an exploration of the virus uh, targeting HER2 disease in the context of bispecific antibodies directed against that Tom, did you want to add anything clinically to to my response? Uh,
3: yeah, no. Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, no, I think that um, you know, we, there's a um, very broad potential with bispecific antibodies, and as as many of you know, they can be directed in many different directions. They're, they're a very flexible technology, and, it, at, and I, in addition to her too, I think we're going to go where the data uh, leads us. And not necessarily l- limit ourselves to any particular direction uh but there are there are uh targets that are that have emerged as being particularly promising, and we will obviously look at those very carefully. but I think at this point it's a little too early to say that we're gonna focus uh on you know on one or just a couple
5: uh,
3: uh by specific uh targets. Andrea, from Sorry. a commercial perspective, is there anything you want to add? No, I mean,
1: obviously, um as you mentioned, the HER2 is probably the more um intuitive opportunity right now, but I wouldn't say that it's limited to that. Obviously, um we're gonna reach out to a broad uh range of by specific developers um to see uh who might be interested in testing with our product and see where the results take us as as um as uh, Tom said, to ultimately develop potential partnerships.
2: Thanks, Andrew. I, I think the AWARE-1 data, though, in, in terms of demonstrating where we can move, really speaks to how important this agent is and and how excited we are about it. I, I mean, we completely renew the immunological response in these patients. We We provide a challenge that isn't life-threatening or even you know, well, not life-threatening, but barely a nuanced uh, um, type of approach. They develop a fever, they develop a malaise, but we generate a brand new subset of T-cells. Like as I said, 75% of the T-cell response is turned over. Um, So the problem with checkpoint inhibitors is they're trying to target the exhausted uh, anergenic T-cells that really have just sort of given up on life. So it's it's taking those T-cells and trying to make them active again. What... Rheovirus or Pella can do is basically create an an entirely new adaptive response that's engaged, that's fresh, that's able to better target disease. Um, And and the big thing is, so it changes your immune system, it's also changing the tumor. We've completely remodeled the tumor in the sense that all of a sudden now uh, a lesion that which would never give a signal that there was any problem, that it wanted inflammation now is actively recruiting these T cells, so I think the opportunity for not only bispecifics that require T cells to work in the solid tumor lesion. I think it demonstrates why the CAR T program works so well, because not only are we recruiting CAR Ts to the solid tumor, uh, we're getting bystander effect because we're actually getting recruitment of these, of these newly uh, created T cell clones into the tumor. Um, so I think. Our first looks will likely follow the lead of what was provided to us by the group in Leighton, but I think generally any solid lesion that has a a good specific CAR T response or, pardon me, uh, bispecific response can be enhanced by the addition of the virus, and I think that's what we're so excited about. We're just remodeling the immune system and remodeling the tumor in a way that really allows these other immunological interventions to work better uh, through the remodeling of the tumor and the immune system. So I think you know our, our starting point will be her too, but I think the doors are wide open to expand into other areas.
5: Yeah, that's helpful. And then just to follow up on BRAcelet one, so the enrollment in metastatic breast cancer expected to complete in the fourth quarter, I'm wondering when you would anticipate the initial data and what you or Pfizer Merckron would be looking for in the data to give confidence to move ahead with a pivotal program. And can you just remind us if Pfizer or Merck-Serrano have sole rights to advance the program or could you potentially partner with another company if one expressed interest in the program?
2: No, that's a great question. So we anticipate enrollment to to finish this year. Um, Just to remind everyone, Bracelet is a co-development agreement with Pfizer, so they have no rights to the virus itself, but what they do have rights to is exclusivity of data so that they can review the data before other potential competitors. What we'd like to see, um, and Pfizer seems amenable, is a a safety review um, with maybe some early evidence of efficacy uh, at the San Antonio Breast Conference, but, you know, if we're enrolling, or pardon me, if we finish enrollment towards the end of of this year, the full data in terms of overall survival and stuff won't be available until next year. So we'll update patients to safety, Um, but but again, the better the data looks, the, the less likely our partners might be willing to share it. So, um, you know, the absence of us saying anything, uh, I wouldn't interpret it as a negative. If anything, I think it's they're getting their heads around the results uh, that they're seeing in the clinic. But we, you know, we're working with academic groups like Precog, so they are very interested in getting this data into the public domain. Now, for us, um, what I fully expect is Paclitaxel is you know, arm one, the control arm, really isn't or shouldn't uh, generate new T-cell clones, shouldn't remodel the immune system. Um, Cohort two, where we're adding the virus, from everything we've seen from multiple myeloma to colorectal to breast cancer, you know, we are getting these pro-inflammatory cells. We are getting recruitment to the tumors. Um, These patients are eligible for biopsies, so we can basically demonstrate what happened in AWARE-1 is happening in the Paclitaxel, and my full expectation based on the AWARE1 is that checkpoint inhibitors, which are known um, not to prime the immune system but to create a a, a sort of a pro-inflammatory event, I'm expecting full well that we'll see an increase in that synergy, that we will get very high levels of T cell accumulation in the tumor, and as AWARE1 demonstrated, the checkpoint inhibitor will eliminate or reduce the anti-inflammatory effects of Tregs by, by segregating them out of the tumor. So I I fully expect that the the Pfizer co-development study will completely direct what the phase three looks like. And my expectation now is at this point is I believe rep will expand uh, HR positive HER2 negative into an indication where checkpoint inhibitors um, won't only have a benefit but will have a very meaningful benefit. And I think, you know, with the discussion we have with partners, the body of evidence that we're seeing across multiple indications is that Riovirus really resets the immune system to be working in conjunction with uh, anything that relies upon either an innate or an adaptive response. So I fully believe that that phase three program is going to incorporate a checkpoint inhibitor. Now, as I said, Pfizer doesn't have any specific rights. So when that data becomes available, um, they're welcome to to bid for a partnership, as is any other partner that sees this as an opportunity to expand uh, into the largest segment of breast cancer uh, on the market.
5: Got it. That's helpful. Thank and you
2: very much. that a commercial question. Is there anything you want to add, or did I misspeak?
1: Nope. That was that was uh, that covered it. It's,
2: it's rare I'm eloquent. So thank you for that.
0: <laughs> your next question comes from the line of Wang Li with Leidenberg. Your line is open.
5: Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my question. I just follow up on the bracelet. Um, um, can you put a little color on what kind of results are you looking for? What kind of threshold of um, the results that will draw your decision for the next step or the partner's decision for the next step?
2: Waysie, great question. Thanks very much. So just a bit of historical for everyone, IND 213, at the time that the NCIC wrote that program, we were still very much thinking that the virus was a lytic agent, that it was killing predominantly through lysis. Um, so we really didn't capture any immunological data. So when we saw what we saw, and just to remind everyone, 213 demonstrated a near doubling of overall survival in the Intention to Treat group, but the, the, what was predominantly driving the benefit was patients with HR-positive, HER2-negative disease. Um, when various parties reviewed the data, they said, you know, and quite frankly, no one's had an impact on this patient population in terms of survival. Um, all approved therapies right at this point were approved based on PFS benefit rather than OS benefit, so to see you know, a 10, 11-month improvement was really quite striking. The problem we had is in the, the, the five years that have intervened, we've really learned that reovirus is killing through labeling rather than through lysis. So what we're doing is we're having the tumor metastatic or primary send uh, an inflammatory signal to the immune system that the tumor is different, that it's malignant, that it needs to be eliminated by the immune system. So our our fundamental understanding went from its lysing to its labeling. So in the due diligence sessions with Pfizer and various parties, we didn't have any data to demonstrate that it was the immune system that was killing these lesions. And this is fundamentally important because if the immune system is what's doing the killing, rheovirus can be used across multiple indications, that it can be more broadly used, uh, that it is well beyond breast cancer if you're using it with the right technology. So basically, Reovirus is enabling that. So when Pfizer came in, they started a due diligence session with us, but we couldn't answer the questions they were asking because the data wasn't captured. So very much like AWARE, um, the bracelet study, its primary endpoints are to demonstrate that once we add Reovirus, to the mix so when we add it to paclitaxel what we're looking for is pro inflammatory signals so we're measuring things like accumulations like of cytokines and, and chemokines like CXCL 9 10 and 11 and those are the signals that tell the T cells to come into the tumor we're looking for pro-inflammatory signals like interferon type 1 and type 2 um, that paclitaxel shouldn't release or cause And those are the signals that activate things like an NK NK response and a T cell response. And importantly, in cohort three, where we add the checkpoint inhibitor, what we're looking for is the elimination of the negative or the Treg MDSC response, which reovirus we know can activate and the checkpoint inhibitor can eliminate. So what we're looking for in cohort three um, is that pro-inflammatory, anti -anti anti-inflammatory signal, and the AWARE-1 gives us extreme confidence that this is the type of signal that the, the AWARE-1 uh, study is going to rate out. Now, I'll point out a, br- the bracelet study is a very small study. I think it only has basically 15 patients per cohort, so we're not looking for big changes in terms of, of tumor response or PFS or OS, even though we think we'll capture that. Where we do expect to have the big statistically significant improvements, are around these pro-inflammatory signals, um, which we are measuring at, at the genetic level through um, basically nanostring technologies, at the cellular level through uh, the accumulation of, of these these pro-inflammatory cytokines and chemokines, and then ultimately at the sort of biology level where we do expect to see uh, changes in the biopsies and the changes in the responses of the patients. But this study really is to Take the learnings of aware and extend it into the patient population that we believe uh, will drive the most benefit in the in the phase three setting, which is the metastatic sense. Tom, is there anything you
3: wanted to add? No, I think I think that captures it. We we will of course be looking at clinical responses, but as Matt said, it's it's largely the translational and immunologic responses that will provide some of the most uh, critical data from this study. Okay, got it. Uh
5: last question is for the bispecific combo uh, any color on the timeline for I know it's a preclinic study um for, for a potential data report or um that's a great question thank you um,
2: the group in Leyden um who who did this work i think very compellingly demonstrated that reovirus and and maybe to better answer Patrick's question earlier reovirus is a priming agent basically you know you treat first with the virus to make those immunological changes and tumor changes. And really, this is I, I really don't even think of the virus that much as as an oncolytic virus anymore because its primary function isn't through lysis but through remodeling of the tumor microenvironment by uh, getting rid of those barriers that that prevent T cells from entering the tumor. So we've remodeled the tumor, but importantly, we've remodeled the innate and adaptive immune response. So you've taken someone who's been very heavily pretreated, pre-treated um, with chemotherapies, with radiotherapies, with all these interventions, and basically renewed their immune system. We've provided a challenge that's not a threatening challenge, but it's caused a significant turnover, and that turnover is directed towards the tumor. In terms of bispecific antibodies, We'll be using this as a priming effect, uh, and we've now entered into a collaboration with the University of Leiden to really explore this. Uh, The goal, or the stated goal, of this collaboration is to enable us to start uh, a clinical program, which I would hope would begin next year. And so we're, we're examining targets, but we're really examining basically how the virus, you know, resets the immune system. So that it can better respond or better enhance the effects of of these bispecific antibodies.
4: Okay, Kathy, thanks.
0: I'm showing no further telephone questions at this time. I will now turn the call over to Kirk to answer some questions submitted by our shareholders.
4: Thanks, operator. <clears throat> we we don't have a lot of time left uh, in our. Uh, uh, for our AGM here, but we do have a number of questions, uh, and so I'll, I'll uh, paraphrase a few of them, uh, and uh, and then we'll bring things to a close. Uh, so first, uh, Matt, um, maybe you can touch on, um, you know, and provide provide everyone, you know, why why has there not been, you know, partnership given the Aware One data. And is there any update that you can provide on, on the AWARE study?
2: Well, I, I, I'll talk very quickly to the AWARE-1 study. So the AWARE-1 study has met its primary endpoint. I, I think now very comfortably we can tell parties, you know, how the product is working. This is an agent that renews the immune system and remodels the, the tumor and specifically is synergizing definitively with checkpoint blockade. I think the AWARE-1... Very definitively demonstrated that the virus causes a pro inflammatory signal that is positive for the patients. And, and the reason I say this, CellTIL, which was uh, the primary endpoint, and it, a lot of people aren't familiar with CellTIL, but basically people are familiar with new adjuvant studies where they talk about uh, pathologic response or pathologic complete response or what have you. We demonstrated in the Aware One study that the virus with Letrazole or the virus with Letrazole T centric. Uh, eliminates tumor cells, and that, that results in the positive cell kill score, but it also results in, in a pro-inflammatory signal. And that's important because any recruitment of immune cells to a tumor uh, is correlated with an improvement in patient outcomes. So anything we can do for these patients that mobilizes the immune system to a tumor is going to be a positive for them. They are going to derive a benefit, and, and that benefit is not only progression-free survival, so overall survival, so whereas the virus would create this pro-inflammatory event and, and cause patients benefit, um, adding checkpoint inhibitor increase that benefit. So I, I think that's very significant. Um, as we were doing the study, new technologies have been made available to better look at these pro-inflammatory and these, these include improvements around uh, nanostring technologies, which is looking at uh, the genetic changes, but also in multiplexing, which looks or allows us to look at cell-to-cell interactions. Like Really what we want to see is the infected cells are recruiting cytotoxic T cells and NK cells. Um, we are actually looking now... at at modifying the AWARE study so that we can better capture these data and bring some of these new technologies into it. Um, What I I don't think shareholders appreciate is, you you know, we are continuously learning about this product. We are seeing results in multiple myeloma. We're seeing results in in colorectal cancer, and we're learning from our partners. Um, You know, the collaborations with Roche and with Pfizer are bringing new technologies uh, or better ways to measure our benefit So, we actually paused on the aware so that we can incorporate some of these learnings uh, so that we could better incorporate um, whether we're seeing a signal in uh, HR positive, or pardon me, in in HER2 positive disease as well as triple negative, and how we can use some of these technologies like uh, Ventana. Um, Just to remind people, we demonstrated. Uh, on Cohort 1 and 2 that we could convert in Cohort 1, which is without T-centric, 20% of the patients into a PDL one positive state. Um, in Cohort 2, we converted 40% of the patients uh, into a, a PDL one positive state. Um, we have previously not used this Vendata system before, um, so the importance for Cohort 3, which is triple negative, is we could presumably um, make significant increases in the patients who are eligible for checkpoint blockade. And in looking at cohort three and four, which is HER2, um, this is an area we really haven't explored. Um, It's a subset or a small subset of breast cancer, but commercially a very valuable one. So we want to make sure that we're capturing the data to be as compelling in a small number of patients as we can be so that when we make a decision that we want to go into a a, a bi-specific directed against her2 that it's, it's data driven that it's it, that it's it's based on something significant rather than a gut feeling so we, we we are making modifications to aware one so we can better capture that that data while preserving the safety of the patients i mean we have to keep in mind These women have very early-stage disease, and they're all being treated for a cure. So we do want to make sure that they're treated uh, basically as gently and as effectively as possible. But I I think we very compellingly have demonstrated um, that these women have less likelihood of recurrence of disease through activation of innate and adaptive responses. So I believe we're providing long-term benefit, but we do want to make sure that, that these women... Um, are provided you know, the best standard of care that, that is possible while we're able to capture the data we're looking for. Andrew, I'm gonna push you under the bus entirely for the partnership and why we haven't signed a deal within days of the AWARE-1 study being made public. Sure.
1: Yeah, I think the AWARE-1 study, above and beyond everything you mentioned, Matt, it's designed to uh, add additional credence to the 213 data set that, um, as Tom already pointed out, showed really the curve, the Kaplan-Meier curves diverging at about the 10-month point, which is indicative, we believe, of an immunologic response. And here again, you see now the remodeling of the tumor microenvironment. And so, you know, we think the two add are additive to paint the portrait of why the 213 data set is credible and attributable to color raref. So why is that not enough? Well... It's certainly a huge part of it, and we are making the most of that as we can with the number of companies um, that have an interest in potentially licensing this product. And that list does go beyond Roche and Pfizer, though obviously they're closer to our to our product and our data than the others. But there are others that are certainly have us on their radar. Having said that, um, the question that always comes up is, you know, what size is your Phase three, and will you add? Um, a checkpoint or not, and those are questions that the bracelet trial is designed to to address. And so, um, you know, will these companies jump in before those those answers are addressed from the bracelet data? Uh, that I think that's a tall order. It's not an impossible order, but right now I would not want to oversell that that could happen prior to the bracelet data being available to these other companies. Um, as for Pfizer and Ro- and MD Serrano, obviously, we know what what they're waiting on to make their decision.
5: Andrew, if if
2: I could ask of you, I mean, obviously, this is something we discuss all the time, but I don't think it's something we we generally share with our shareholders. In in terms of partnering this around the specifics of the CAR-T versus the Phase 3, could you talk to the financial commitments, um, enhance the due diligence that's required between partnering and early-stage technology you know, if we wanted to partner on the biospecific yeah. side versus partnering on the phase three, like what is the financial commitment that our partner partners are looking at it, in each one of these developments?
1: Yeah, and, and first I'll talk about the process because I think the process is different. Um, and then I'll, I'll get to why through that process, um, what the financial commitment looks like. Obviously, what we have is exciting preclinical data with both the bispecifics and the CAR-Ts, and we are doing outreach to the companies that are developing these therapies, or in some cases like the CAR-Ts, uh, where there's five or six now approved, um, speaking also companies that are commercially viable in that space. Um, having said that, you know what we the, the ask is much simpler in these cases, and it's really to, first of all, test our product with whichever constructs they think would be most amenable to benefiting from that um, tumor uh, remodeling. Um, and so, that's the first step really to sign the material transfer agreement, ship the company over um, our product, the Pella Rep, and then initiate that preclinical testing. That preclinical testing then would um, trigger payments before they could go into phase one and beyond. Um, what those payments look like, obviously you're entering into phase one um, setting it's, are much um, less than in a phase, you know, when you have a phase three ready asset. The risk is higher. Uh, the development time is longer and the costs associated with development are higher. Therefore, the upfront is smaller. So in terms of what the upfronts could look like, I would say that it's, you know, somewhere in the 20% range of what an upfront might look like um, for a phase three ready asset. And obviously, those are, are pretty much all over the place. Uh, if you look at any of the reports that are put out by companies that track uh, deals. So I'm hesitant to say it could be this in phase three, and therefore 20% of that in phase one is this. But it is probably around the one fifth of what we could expect to see um, for an upfront um, going into a phase three breast cancer trial. Thanks, Andrew.
4: Okay, we had a, another couple questions on this matter. Um, are your manufacturing capabilities insulated from the impact of COVID?
2: I'm going to push this to Allison entirely because that's her bailiwick. So, Allison, what do you think? Thanks, Matt. With substantial stability data, we're able to produce and store pell representative for extended periods, which simplifies the logistics considerably. In addition, production activities are planned to accommodate a range of contingencies, including potential impacts from COVID-19. We are proactive in tracking material lead times and analytical testing turnaround times, and have experienced no direct issues with production capacity. So we're good. We're good. We're good.
4: Uh, so we've touched on a lot of uh, new opportunities. Uh, we I think we've um, we have um, communicated our focus on the breast cancer program uh, and the breast cancer signal, but. We have a few questions uh, around uh, the new opportunities. So which of your new opportunities are you most excited about?
2: I, I think, and again, I don't think people fully appreciate the importance of the AWARE One study. It fundamentally changes how we look at our agents. Like we went into this thinking it lysed tumor cells, and that was, that was exciting. I mean, it basically we made we, we understood it as a cytotoxic. Um, what we're understanding now and the growing body of evidence because of new, tool, new tools made available to us is the virus does so much more than that. It, it does lyse cells, it, absolutely it does. This is why we see you know, near complete pathologic response or, or complete pathologic response in some of our samples with the AWARE study. But that's really not the entirety of the picture. I think the bigger side of the picture Is this remodeling and renewing of the immune system um, in patients who are are, are capable of it? Like I have to say, you know, looking at the data we have now, the Aware One patients, every single patient had a renewal of the immune system. They had seventy-five percent turnover in their immune system, and they had a complete remodeling of the tumor in a way that allowed immunotherapies to work better. Um, it works with small molecules because it stresses the cell, but with immunotherapies, it sets the immune system up to actually respond, and it changes the tumor in a way that the immune system can. And I think this it has broadened our view of this agent significantly. Like, 213, it was wonderful to see it doubling the survival, but we didn't understand how it was doing it, because we, lysis is only such a small part of the picture. I think now that we know that we can renew an immune system, and, and now actually, and again with the biomarker, we can predict who has the ability to respond. And, and this sounds odd, but some cancer patients just can't mount an immune response. They've been so heavily pretreated that they're not eligible to. And it's, it's, it's sad. It's horrible. Um, but, I mean, they've been so heavily pretreated with chemotherapy and radiotherapy that their immune system just can't respond to threats. So, I think with our new understanding, um, the doors are really open. Like, we know it can work with, with small molecules. I mean, the virus itself goes in and modifies how the cell is functioning, and the cell knows it's under stress. So, if you add another stress, it's, it's like anybody. When you're run down and tired and exhausted, you're going to get sick, you're going to get the flu, The vir- or our virus causes that, specifically in cancer cells, it makes it more susceptible to the effects of small molecules. Now the issue is historically we've we've run the virus with very standard, very powerful chemotherapeutic agents that suppress the immune system. With our new understanding, we could be more nuanced. We can combine it with agents that have less suppressive capabilities and more immunotherapy or more immunotherapeutic. Um, but I think, you know, in the near term We have a much broader vision beyond the checkpoint inhibitors. I think we can definitively now allow checkpoint inhibitors to work in areas that they've historically not worked in. As an example, HR-positive, HER2-negative disease, possibly multiple myeloma, some GI malignancies. And it can do this by creating a pro-inflammatory signal um, by by making T cells able to enter the, the tumor compartment.
1: It removes those restrictions. Beyond that, though, immunotherapies, if you look at the challenges for things like CAR-T,
2: like things like biospecifics that completely rely upon T cells for their activity, they don't work in solid tumors. They can't. Like a solid tumor won't ever admit uh, inflammatory cells into it. They're not supposed to. They're trying to hide from the immune system. So the virus very specifically sends a signal from the solid tumor that says, I'm, I'm open for inflammation now. like All of a sudden, I look different to the immune system. It changes the permeability. It changes how these cells can engage, how it can interact. So I think in the near term, CAR-T and bispecific are very exciting opportunities for us. But in behind that, it, you, you look at the work that uh, Professor Kevin Harrington had just presented. It can work with small molecules like CDK4-6. Uh, which kills immunogenically. So, again, we're remodeling the tumor so that it, it becomes more immune, immunogenically available, um, as well as PARP inhibitors. So I, I think checkpoint inhibitors, which is, a, by the way, a $55 billion franchise by 2025, then only works in 20% of the patients. I think, realistically, the virus has the opportunity to double or triple that availability Um, which should be exciting to to people with that franchise by opening up new white spaces, new opportunities. But in behind that, I think, you know, CAR-Ts, which have historically been stymied uh, in the area of solid tumors, you know, the work coming out of uh, the Mayo Clinic, specifically Professor Vile, who's just recently joined our SAB, he's demonstrated very convincingly you can get solid tumor cures by treating concomitantly with the virus and then priming. I think we need to stop thinking about the virus as a cytolytic and thinking about it as a pro-inflammatory signal. Like I think what we really have to understand uh, is that we might be ironically named. This could be something that is an immune priming agent that remodels our immune system and our cell and, and changes the solid tumor permeability and accessibility to inflammatory cells. And if we think about it in that context, if we can get our head around that it opens up a whole world of opportunities like this could be an agent that could really be a backbone for a lot of immunotherapies like I think we've demonstrated very effectively it enhances the activity of small molecules by weakening the cell so any further stress will add to that but more globally if we can change the patient's immune system and their tumors to respond better I think it's one of the most exciting opportunities in oncology today
4: Okay, we have time for one more question before um, before we have to come bring this to an end. So you spoke about uh, the T. Uh, we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, just maybe, can you uh, tell us when we can uh, um, when we can expect to see more developments with respect to CAR
2: um, Where
4: I know the Mayo Center is actually working on a
2: publication. So uh, you know, you've been bit of a bit of a teaser with the poster. There's a, a much more full accounting. Um, we've actually had a lot of interest from third parties, large pharma, and biotech around the ability of the virus to enhance the activity of CAR T. Uh, So we've been able to engage on a lot of collaboration in this area. Um, I think looking towards the end of the year, you can expect more publications, and certainly next year, I think as this data becomes available, um, people can really begin to become really
4: quite excited about the opportunities. Okay, thanks, Matt. Uh, Operator, we'll bring it to a close now, please.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes uh, today's presentation. Thank you once again for your participation.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.